ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Monster Baby Podcast. I'm Lisa Rowland. Hey, I'm Ted DeMiazone. And this is a continuation episode from the last one. This is part two of a conversation with Corey Rosen, author of Your Story, Well Told. We're still curiously romping through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. Always. And Corey's taking us even further. He's going to talk about the tension between improvisation and the craft of telling stories. Yeah, you're also, we cover a lot of fun stuff, including sort of how to mine your life or prompts for stories. Um, you are going to hear more of Ramona in this episode. Mm-hmm. She, yeah, she has some things. She, <laughs> she's got some stories to tell. She has some things to say. So you'll, you'll notice that. Uh. <laughs> he also got into, uh, we talked about pre-show rituals and about how to give and receive feedback about stories. That's cool stuff. Yeah. So anyway. uh, don't forget, you can get his book, Your Story Well Told, at mango.bz, which is the publisher's website. Use the code MONSTERBABY10 for 10% off. Bargains galore. Yeah. And the book's really great. The yeah. book is really great. Indeed. So uh, enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the end of it. Yeah. think of stories as this, the thing that happened, but the truth is, is that our perspectives, our lives, our life experiences, and the things that we've experienced later allows us to have perspective on those things and to look back at them. Yeah. A number of my students have had, you know, experiences when they were younger that they, that are kind of cringy, you know, like, and they didn't, I can't believe I did that thing. That doesn't mean you can't talk about that if you've learned something mm-hmm. the change could be a change now like mm-hmm. i look back at that and i did something wrong that i don't agree with now i wouldn't have done that and then it could be a survival story of communicating how i've changed from a time that i did something so it doesn't mean we can't talk about those times too yeah but i love the idea of owning something mm-hmm. if it's pain if it's grief if it's trauma if it's stress strain doesn't mean that yeah, that that has to be to be alive. You can grow. The, yeah, the it can scene. be a part of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 right. I was just thinking of one of those stories um, as I was driving here this morning wow. or this afternoon. Of I, I, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. But somehow in the last year and a half, I've just developed this like. Oh, I don't like what I did in yeah. that story, and I'm I'm still trying to to make peace with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, but it was like really as I was driving down Guerrero Street, I was thinking of this story, and I had that kind of like, oh, yeah. but I like I wanna wanna work on it, and yeah, and there's you know. there's learnings from it. I mean, one of my one of my favorite storytelling kind of go tos or techniques that I like I definitely use a lot in my own way is that I will uh, start a story in sort of the now of my life I'm starting I am doing this this Mm. is happening now this Mm. is me and something will happen an interaction or occurrence or some kind of a a trigger of some kind that will open a portal to a then Mm. some kind of a then and the story within this or the nested story is about how I did it then. Who was I then? Mm-hmm. So the then in your story, Ted, might be the then, the cringy thing, and then you can come back to now, 
And now I'm in a situation that's reminiscent of that, and I'm doing, I'm choosing a different path. Mm-hmm. I'm going a different way, and that mm-hmm. gives us that growth, that change, and that insight, that knowledge of how people change over time. Mm-hmm. So, as a for me, that story manifests a lot as a parent. I'm a parent, and as a you know, my I am, I identify as male, so I did not give birth to my own children. I, I said that wrong. I always say that wrong. Uh, it's not just because you identify as male. Thank you. And that's one of the biological things. In fact, but what I find, and what I found at, at the birth of my children, was that my parents were making everything up. That I never really realized until I had my own children that my parents didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like I never really realized that. That oh my god, you were just like me. Yeah. You were a young, you know, parent. Improvising, just figuring it out, just yeah. trying things. As kids, we think our parents are experts yeah. in living yeah. and life, and so what a lot of my stories are, especially stories involving parenting, is a thing happening with a kid, and then flashing back to being that age yeah. or mm-hmm. being a kid, mm-hmm. and what I thought or what I experienced, and then when I come back, what I decide to do or how I decide to move forward is somehow informed by my memory of that, yeah. uh-huh. which is a storytelling technique that doesn't necessarily mean 100% in that moment that is what happened, but it works really well in a story, which is to connect to memories, yeah. to moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some liberty that we can also give ourselves as storytellers to, to um, quilt. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Can I tell you this story? Yes, please. Oh, <laughs> we haven't been waiting. Yeah. Waiting for well, us I've to been, ask I've been for the debating. story. I've been debating internally about whether I want to share it. So the beginning part is this joyous thing where my then-girlfriend Melissa and I, I, I had been sort of going around to used car lots and looking potentially who was going to buy a used car. But I, I didn't. But we drove, this was in Keene, New Hampshire. Where we lived in Troy and we were driving into Keene and there's this round tree uh, Kia store and we said saw there was a big hullabaloo going on like oh balloons and we said we, we went in and turns out that they were doing a giveaway for a car and uh, you had to be present to win and so we're like well sure let's stick around let's it happening in 10 minutes like great let's just let's, really, let's yeah. see what happens right let's enter and I had this premonition of like I'm going to win this car I, I think I'm going to win this car and when I went and signed my name I turned to Melissa and I said I'm going to win this car. Put it in the box. Uh, but you had to be there to win. So uh, the guy, Bob Roundtree, this kind of pasty-faced guy, a little rotund, got up and he pulled the name out of a hat and he said, Kathy McDermott. And I was like, what? I could have sworn I was going to win. Yeah. But then nobody responded. And he and said, so Kathy said, McDermott. I'm Kathy McDermott. <laughs> Is that was that he the said, end of the story? Going once, going twice. She wasn't there. Yeah. So he like taught, and then he took my name out and took a name out. And he said Ted de de. I was like Demezon. <laughs> he said yes. I said that's me. Oh my god, I won. So I won the car. It turns out it was literally the worst car on the market. Like if you went to Consumer Reports, it said this is the cheapest car in America, and you get what you pay for. Right? It's like. Four tires. We had a little thing on the side of the window. Four tires. An AM, FM radio. Yeah. Steering wheel. Windows. So this was, that was the good side of the story. What then happened was I asked them, look, you know what? I don't need this car. I, can I just get the value of the car? 
And they said, sure, we'll give you the retail value of the car. You know, come get a check in a couple of weeks. And, wow. Right? So I said, great. So they went back in a couple of weeks. They didn't have it. They said, oh, well, it'll take a little bit longer. And, then, and it just kept going on and on. And they kept putting me off, putting me off. And I started to get really frustrated and annoyed. And like, I started hearing these stories about Bob Roundtree and being a, a huckster and you know, misleading people and terrible customer service. And every time I went in, they would give me this whole song and dance routine. And like, it took, I don't know what it was, two or three months. And eventually they had said they were going to give me $8,300. And when I went in, they gave me a check for $7,500. And they said they had me, wanted me to sign something that said, I forfeit all my rights to everything. And I was like, I thought this was going to be $8,300. They said, well, it's not. Take it or leave it. Or like really brusquely. And I was like, oh, and like all my ethics got fired up and I just got righteous. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And then I got this threatening phone call from him and he called me and he's like, what the hell are you doing? He's swearing at me on the phone like, I can't fucking give away money in this town anymore. And then he sort of got into this whole rage. Wow. And I was like, see, he is a jerk. He is a jerk. And he said, you come get this car within 24 hours uh, or else I'm taking it back. No check. Come get the car if you want it. So I went in and got the car and I had to sign something that said I'm giving up away all my rights. And I just was like, ah, this doesn't sit. So anyway, I ended up filing a small claims suit because I, I just didn't feel right about it. I was so righteous. And, and I got there, I don't know, a couple months later, and I was not the only person suing Bob Browntree. And I brought that recording of his phone call in. And I was like, you know, see all these terrible things he did to me. And I felt so victimized. And I'm protecting the rights of other customers. You know. I eventually sold the car for $6,300 to another dealer because I didn't, I didn't do it. So in retrospect, it's like $7,500. Just take the friggin' check. What are you, you're not going to get a retail value of a car. Like $7,500 was worth way more than the car was worth. I just This wasn't about the, the car. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. What was it about? Well, for me, it was about like... Uh, Fighting the man. Yes. You know? That is exactly what it was. It was so... I was, I was, I'm right and wrong. Yeah. Justice and injustice. Yeah, you're but, sticking to your word. Yes. You said, you said this right, thing. Right, sticking to your you word. You promised. You said. Yeah. yeah. But when I look back on it, it was like... <laughs> grasping at something that didn't need to be grasped at. Yes. And, and it, like, choose your battles. Yes. Choose your battles. And like, yeah, you can fight the man. Yeah. But... You're at, he All was the right. time you wasted on Bob Roundtree. Right. That's right. You went to court. You spent hours and hours. You could Prepping, have been doing anything. And, and it was like, he was right. This is, this is one of the fascinating things that I've been learning this year. Sometimes when I get into a fight or I'm frustrated or somebody that I, don't, that I disagree with is saying something about me, is accusing me of something. I'm like, well, what if they're right? What if I take it as they write? And so when he got on the phone and said, I can't fucking believe this. I can't give away money in this town anymore. You know what? He was right. I was being He's obnoxious. Right. Yeah. I really was being obnoxious. It's, it's wonderful and so hard yeah. to admit when we're wrong. Oh. Yeah, the yeah, truth, yeah, yeah, the yeah, truth yeah, is yeah. often there. I know. I am often, in the stories in my book, I am usually wrong. Uh-huh. I, I kind of love that, too. I think that there's a tendency that a lot of story storytellers have is their glory stories about these amazing things those are my least favorite stories uh-huh. mm-hmm. i want to hear about your failures yeah. your humanity 
your learnings. Your and this is a great example of that, mm-hmm. of a thing that you stood up for and you won and how crappy it felt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. How crap- and at the end you were like, <clears throat> And ultimately, got less money that you would have yes. if you paid a yes. seventy-five hundred dollar check. And all the time. Yeah. I just think about that. Like, what would I have done with the weeks of yeah. of going back to Bob Roundtree, recording and, and playing and judges? Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Wrapping yourself up, emotional energy, so much. I was a little disappointed when I was remembering it this morning, or on the way over, that my friends and family didn't call you off. Call me on it. They were like, they were kind of on my side. But like there was nobody who said, uh, "You want to rethink this? <laughs> what if you let it go?" Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he actually might be, you know. Yeah. No, but it it's is okay. true. It it's is true. Okay. We 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 must choose our battles. My my re- reflection on that, and I think that it's an important one, is it's kind of re- reaction reflection in a way because there's a thing that also I think happens when we tell our stories to other people. So I really like what you just observed, which is that in the moment. In the living of the story, there are now other characters that didn't appear in the telling of that story. There are outside voices, influences, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. One thought is, I love that. Like there's this garden of other stories and other ways of finding in our story. And sometimes when I tell a story, when I verbally tell a story while I'm kind of working on it, I'll tell it and somebody will pick up on that. Mm. Be like, the other people. I, like, like, where is the light shining on the parts of the story that we think, oh, no, I thought this was a story about going to court. And they're like, no, this is a story about being led astray by your friend. Yeah, like, <laughs> maybe your story yeah. isn't what you think it is. Yeah. Yes. Because stories also have the ability to do that. We can learn multiple things. The story mm-hmm. isn't just the story. Sometimes the story is is a sandbox. Mm-hmm. And in that sandbox, there's other possibilities. Totally. So I've seen people do that, like milk many observations life experiences out of the same out of the incident. same thing mm-hmm. totally which awesome. is which is sort of this idea of like with the birth stories of yeah. like it's not one thing yeah it's that thing it's also other things also so others. see what's up for you now in telling the story they've All got secrets that. yeah so cool all right i have a question yep which is we have talked before on this podcast about the tension between improvisation as a like just we're just making stuff up we're like on the moment we're in the moment we're on the fly being with what is and showing up the way that you talk about story in the book ultimately is that it's like something is well crafted there's as you said there's a difference between a story and a, a good story and so there's like working it workshopping it finding the right words the right sequence but and yet you're an improviser and yet improv is a big part of the book so how do those how do you reconcile that paradox? Like, what, what does that mean to you? That's a great question, and I have a an answer for it. <laughs> yes. I love when you say something. I'm like, Sweet. I definitely have an answer to that. Uh, so I, uh, I host the Moth Story Slams in San Francisco and Berkeley, and I try in every show that I do to actually tell a different story every time. And I've hosted over a hundred shows, so that means that I've told a hundred different story, like full stories, at each of these shows. And so some people might think, well, I don't have a hundred stories, but the truth is you do. There's a lot of stories in there. And the other thing, the grace that I give myself is that I am not aspiring when I, even on the moth stage, to make it the best version of the story every time. I believe that storytelling has an organic developmental cycle, which is that 
to tell a better story, you have to tell the story and tell the story and then retell the story and notice in the telling, in the, what's beautiful about storytelling, honestly, is that you're usually telling it to people and you're getting instant feedback. You're getting smiles. You're getting nods. You're getting them looking at their phone or their watch. You're getting real-time insight that this worked, this didn't work. And what I find myself doing now, getting back to like, I'm standing on a stage in Berkeley at the Freight and Salvage talking to 250 people, telling a story that I have prepared and planned to tell the story. And the improviser, storyteller essence of me starts to sometimes starts to creep in and say, hmm, maybe it's time to end the story. Maybe the story's wrapping up. Maybe you don't need to go to that other thing. Like uh. you're losing them or they're loving it. They're laughing in places I didn't expect. I'm going to open up that avenue a little bit. I'm going to yes and the things that are working, build on that and uh, generally find myself back to the spine of where I was going in the telling of the story. Sometimes I found myself, wow, I I told a different story or a different huh. version of huh. that story. Yeah. yeah. But what it ties back and into the question is it's about grace and it's about being present in the moment to tell your story and the openness to be there, mm -hmm. to be present in the telling of the story and to see the story needs this, the audience is, wants this and this is how the story came out. So I'll listen back then because I always record the stories. I'll listen back and I'll notice, oh, that's how I told it. So next time I tell it, it can be differently. You might, you might change it or amplify it. Yeah. Or... So I, what I observe, and this is a maybe the nature of the moth or other comp competitive storytelling things, is that there is a preciousness. People sometimes go to win they want to be the champion. They want to be the winner. And that gives me some sadness, just like if I went to play theater sports to win. Yeah. Like the game is just the game, you know, and it really is more about the show. So the unique situation that I get to be in as the host of those shows is we created, we created something. We 11 people, me and 10 storytellers, told our own version of a theme and at the end of the night, wow, we made a night. You know, that has always been my experience of the moth. Like, you, like even when you just described it as competitive storytelling, I was like, oh, I guess. But, you know, like, it, do, it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it, when, when I'm there, I find myself going, oh, this is the score that I would give that story, right? Because there is this scoring sure. at, the end, at the end of every story. But, like, it's not at all what I remember about going to the moth. It's Nobody like, remembers what one. No, it's just the stories, you know? Yes. And like, and I actually love that it's clear that some people have gone with preparation. Yeah. That they are like, this is how I tell the story. They have it squared away. They know their first line. And other people are like, oh my God, my name got pulled. Okay, so I want to tell you the story about this thing. And it's just somebody talking. Mm -hmm. And the variation is so lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a approach that I use and I talk about it in the book actually, which is about the like preparation for doing shows. You know, all of us, we're all performers and we all have sort of our pre-show rituals. Before I get to mine, Ted, like what do you, or Lisa, what do you do before a show? Do you have any specific thing that uh, helps you be present, yeah. mindful, warmed up? I move my body, mm -hmm. like try to warm up each part of my body. Um, 
I'll do five breaths, ideally with the people I'm going to perform with to, to breathe together for a little bit. And then I like to do a ritual we've talked about before on the podcast of anticipatory gratitude. So like if we're moving ourselves to the end of the show, what are we looking back on saying, oh, we did that. I really appreciate the way you listened or I appreciated that bold idea you jumped on stage with in the third scene. It was so great when you did that, Corey. And, and just to go around the circle and offer those and sort of plant the seeds of the great things that are going to happen. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about I love that yeah. anticipatory gratitude. Yeah. yeah. And I love that you just mentioning breathing makes me slow my breath. And talk. like I mm. have a physiological response when someone says, and I take a breath. I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing. But it yeah. did. Yeah. 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 I put my body on the stage that I'm going to be performing in. Mm. I like to play ball. If I'm with people who play ball, I have a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I change. Like nice. changing into my show clothes is an important thing to do. Personal change. And I change. I transform <laughs> myself. Uh, yeah. Changing clothes, put on, putting on makeup, having a cup of coffee before the show is like nice. all those things. I love all of that. I love being on stage. I love the... The bringing yourself into the space, yeah. the idea of changing your clothes or some some ritualized thing Pass that makes I am yeah. not me now. I am performer. this me. I am performer. I am yeah. that makes yourself present in that space. I love it. Uh, I would yes and those because I feel like I maybe not consciously, but I love to be on the stage. I love to have a sense of my where. Yeah. Um, and in a storytelling setting. And also this extends beyond like a performative storytelling. I find this in a business presentation or a meeting. I like to be in and among the people I'm talking to. I like to mingle. Like I'll do this at the Bayfront Theater before a bat show. I will walk through the theater. That doesn't disperse your energy? No. In fact, I, I, it's like I feel what they feel. Yeah. They're stressed. Parking sucked tonight. Or... Um, they all seem to know each other. Somebody's celebrating. Like I just get a a, mm. a feeling of like I'm look what's happening right here. We have a the I mean you can't see. Imagine in your mind the cutest four month old baby you can imagine. The hair is in a mohawk. The face is the eyes are as open as the entire head, and the mouth is a little akimbo. Like the the lower lip is a little bit to her left. And the microphone looks like the ah! softest fuzzy object she could grab. <laughs> so for me as a, as a warm-up, what I like to do is I like to spend some time around the people I'm going to be talking to. Because what that does for me as a performer and as a sort of centering ritual for me is I'm one of you. We're telling stories to each other just mm. like at a dinner party. If I spend too much time, say, backstage breathing, you know, like in inside then I feel disconnected with outside. Now, improv is a little different because I want to be connected to the people I'm going to be on stage with. Maybe more than the audience, but storytelling in that in that milieu, I like that feeling that that we're all together. I'm talking to you. Like a campfire. campfire. Like campfire I mean, yeah. it's like the yeah. right original storytelling mm -hmm. shtick is like, gather around, let's tell each other our stories. Mm -hmm. And it's a communal experience and it's not a one and and there's a balance i need time for me i need time to breathe i need time to hydrate i need time to change and be in what am i going to say yeah what do, what do i have to do yeah. prepared yeah yeah where do you put yourself on introvert extrovert scale 
Uh, I if anywhere. I haven't measured myself recently. I generally think of myself as uh, extrovert, but when I now like rationalize it in my head, I'm probably more on the introverted extrovert side of it, which is that like I I wear extrovert, and after a show, I just want to be alone. I don't want to keep talking. Like we've done enough talking, haven't we? I kind of want to go home and like have some tea. Like that's sort of my thing of like, I need, I need that me time. Yeah. Anyway. So you, you mentioned the theme of a night and how like with this other storytellers, you're able to create this experience based on a theme. Will you share with our listeners the, the exercise that you have in the book uh, uh, called explode the prompt or exploding the prompt? Yes. I, I, I loved when I read it and it seems particularly relevant to this notion of like, Oh, there's so many ways we could come at this theme. Totally. So the organizing principle around a lot of storytelling shows and uh, events is thematic, thematically connected. So that when you go, you know these are just going to be stories. Maybe it's something happening in the world. Maybe it's like stories of competition. Like say if it was an Olympic thing was happening in the world, there might be stories of competition. There might be stories about mothers or parents or love. And what the purpose of that theme is, is to uh, instigate and to connect and unify the show. What you end up seeing and hearing is usually radically different takes on that. So what my exercise, which I call Explode the Prompt, is organized around, it's organized around before we dive too deeply into the first idea that comes out of our head. So if I said any of those words, competition, fathers, mothers, love, our head may first go to, you know, oh, well, my dad was a jerk. Or uh, the time that I won this robotics competition in seventh grade or something. You may you have a first thought. The idea of explode the prompt is before we go there, Let's explode the prompt into what does this prompt mean? What is competition? So I will look at the at the what could it be? It could it be uh, com- competition with my siblings? It could be winning a competition, losing a competition. Um, it could be a competition with myself. You know, like I'll just look at, I'll sort of build a a kind of mind map or a word tree of what different angles could I go with this. And then for each of those on that tree, then I'll connect the dots. Like, do I have a story about com- competition with a, a classmate, competition with my, my best friend, competition with my brother? Like, and then I won't go too deep into any of these. I'll just go, oh, the time that my brother and I got in that fight and I hit him with the rake. Bookmarking, tagging, what are, what are kinds of stories? And then what are examples of those stories? And so in a really rapid, in you know, two minutes time, I've now got sometimes 15, 20, 25 possible places that I could go. When you now have this, this um, sort of possibilities, now you're not necessarily drawn to the first idea you have, but you have choice. And you feel the heat map of what am I, what's exciting to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where's the juice? Where's the juice on this? And you may end up with that first idea. Like you may end up there if that's what's got the most juice, but you've 
spent time figuring out what's there. Yes. yes. Yeah. So the activity of exploding the prompt, of, of uncorking the bottle of what could be, allows us to ideate, by which I mean like, like come up with ideas without commitment. The danger of overcommitting to an idea too soon is that if I say, I'm going to tell the story about this, and then I start to do the work of it, and now I'm working, I'm writing, I'm telling, and I, and I hit a dead end, that's a bad story. Then I give up. Ah, I don't have a competitive story. Or you forge forward trying to make some, a bad story something because you put all this effort into it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the way that I kind of teach it in the book and I think that is really helpful is along the same kind of principles of, of an improviser's mindset, which is the idea of don't overcommit too soon. Allow yourself to explore possibilities and see what, uh, what hooks for you. I have an example of this. So for my first story that I told at a moth, on a moth stage, the theme of the night was secrets. So before I had really developed, <laughs> before I had really developed my own approach to this, this was how I did it. I made a list. I just made a list of secrets, right? Of things that I had never told someone or things that people had told me or things that I knew about other people, right? Or things that like, I wouldn't want people to know about me, actual secrets. I love it. Right? And when I explored all of those things, the ones that were about me, just about me, like me confessing something, felt confessional. They just felt me revealing myself, but there was no there there. And it wasn't just a moth audience of Catholic priests. And it wasn't just a moth audience. It wasn't just- it, That might have been appropriate. Where I found excitement for myself was what's a secret I know about somebody else or when was a time that I discovered somebody else had a secret um, I also explored uh, being entrusted with a secret right knowing somebody else's secret and and betraying you know like there's so many ways you can go it doesn't just have to be a confession it could be these paths into it and the story that I told was about my cousin Norman and finding his secret after his death, like reading his will and discovering that he had a secret. And that became the nature of the story that I told and also became, in the telling of the story, the, the hook into the story, which is that I introduced the character, I introduced that he has a secret, and then I do not tell you the secret. Yeah, that's a fun story. It's in, it's in the book, people. <laughs> you know, you and I'm not going to tell you. I do. At the end of the story, yeah, the story I reveal what the secret is, but the... The game that I play in the telling of that story is that I tee up there's a secret and then I try to play a game in the way I tell that story of making you guess. Ah, cool, cool. What do I think the secret is by kind of introducing it, pulling away from it, and then when I come back to the secret, it is of course something that has been, the answer was there all along, but it's maybe not what you expect. Yeah, yeah, and then you articulate it. Oh, I love it. I love that. The baby has been handed off. (laughs) The football. Want to do a word at a time story with me, Ramona? Let's try a story. We're going to do a, a baby word at a time story. Yes. Okay, Ramona, once. Ah. Uh, uh, there. Uh, when. Uh, the. Uh, so. Uh, surprisingly. The end. Yes, that was a yeah. great story. Ramona, that was-
was your first word at a time story. Great job. Well done. Great job. This is a man who had babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So we're creating this thing together, like everybody's surrounding a theme, and the and the idea of there was a way you you describe the improv principle of yes anding when you hear another story, even if you don't like it. Yeah. And there was the, you told the story of a a guy who told a maybe offensive story, uh, and somebody else responded to it. Like, I, will you share that with the? I totally will. So there's a. There's an example in, in the in the book, but I'm going to tell an example that's not in the book, where we, when we as storytellers are telling our stories to, to other people, you know, like the, the act of verbalizing it, of saying it out loud to another person, which, by the way, I highly recommend. Um, for me, when I'm thinking of a story or working on a story, I, I like to say it in its rough state. I like to tell it to someone. This could be to my brother. This could be to a friend. One of my favorite things when it's possible is like if you're in a city that has a like Uber or Lyft. Remember Lyft line and Uber pool? I would get into a car with other people and I would say, anyone mind if I tell you a story? And I've never had somebody say no. Oh, of course you would say yes. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of strangers. And so you have this like instant test audience. So in the, in, the, in the act of telling stories, we are discovering. The improviser is taught, is trained to say yes and, right? To uh, accept what's in front of them, to not have what you want, but to want what you have, right? And to um, accept and, and move forward with that. So as I am creating and crafting a story, I try as best I can within myself to turn off the critic and to go forward with that. What you are referring to is in a team setting or even one-on-one setting, the idea of letting yes and be a driving principle in the giving of feedback or critique to somebody else. We as people, generally when we give critique, we often go to like problem spotting. Well, I didn't really understand that. That didn't work, and I was really confused about that, or, or uh, like, ah, uh, the ending definitely needs work. You know, things we say things that we think we're being helpful, and really, what we're doing is we're, um, we're. I imagine a story is like a like a balloon, and when we problem spot, we poke holes in the balloon and we deflate the thing until you've just got this lumpy, oh. misshapen sad balloon you know that's just like floppy and then we're giving it back to the storyteller saying okay go ahead and fix it and then we're left looking at this thing like eh, i just want to throw it out and start over because everything i've heard about it is what's wrong with it everything i've heard about is what's wrong yeah. so imagine instead if we train ourselves and our teams to apply yes and in the way that is like let's look at the thing that was presented and this isn't to be Pollyannish and rose-colored glasses and say everything is good about it. Let's find what is working. Let's look at, I liked that part of the story. I liked in the story you told last episode about the car dealer. I liked when you revealed the thing about having bad advice from other people around you who are encouraged, egging you on in the fight when really, in retrospect, you didn't need that. I liked that. Mm-hmm. And if people can find a thing that is working in the yes sense and suggest, and I want to hear more about that. I think you could do more with that. If we give, if we shine the light or we water the healthy parts of the plant, mm-hmm. 
that what ends up happening is now we collect possibilities. We collect ideas that we could use, we could integrate. And the big idea being that we're not giving you feedback or critique to change anything. We're just responding back with what worked, what, what we liked. What got us going, yeah. And an important aspect of this, which you alluded to, is sometimes we'll hear a story that is troubling or that we don't even agree with what you did. That was a bad decision that you did. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I feel that the act of yes-anding can transcend that, that we can yes-and an idea or a philosophy or opinion we don't agree with because we can either, in the activity, in the exercise, I'm going to look at it from your point of view, or I'm going to find something I do, you know, like what is yesing? It's like, you know, it's, it's giving, like listening, comprehending, understanding, yeah. you know, showing some acceptance of that so that even if we disagree, we can help to find that. Well, it, it seems like it's a way of, it's a way of prioritizing the connection, right? So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. even if you say something that disappoints me, or bums me out, or turns me off. I still want to be connected. I'm yes. assuming I do, right? Maybe maybe you've told ten stories and I really dislike all of them. And I realize, okay, you've given me enough information. I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Yeah. But assuming that I do, and if I'm in a class with you, I do because yep. I want to keep learning. Then, all right, what is the, what's the thing I can stay connected with you on? Mm -hmm. And can I, as you said, water that seed? Yeah. So it can bloom and become something more. At the end of the day, what it becomes also for me is the idea that sometimes we go in and we think that this is what my story is. And when we hear that feedback or that, that, that yes ending of what you got from it, what you responded to, you may find my story is not about what I thought my story was about at all. My mm -hmm. story is about my mm -hmm. friends. Mm -hmm. My story is about, um, you know, about greed or my story is mm -hmm. about you know, wanting what I couldn't have and fighting for the wrong thing. You know, we may find that our, our sense of what our story is is not what the story needs to be. So instead of fighting mm -hmm. against the things that aren't working, lean into the light. Lean into the, what is working yeah. and see where that goes. Love it. I mean, that's very good advice in general. Right? Like yeah. fight against, fight through what's not working or lean into the light. Yeah. Like yeah. find the bright spots yeah. and then move toward those things. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. Now there's a flip side to this all, which uh -oh. is that... Um, like the way that I frame it in, in your story well told is that I frame it in the giving and receiving of feedback if you're working with a partner or team. And there is a kind of a, a group contract that we have to make. It's like, we're going to give feedback in this way. It's lovely. Now there's a flip side to this all, which uh -oh. is that um, like the way that I frame it in, in your story well told is that I frame it in the giving and receiving of feedback if you're working with a partner or team. And there is a kind of a, a group contract that we have to make. It's like, we're going to give feedback in this way. And the flip side of it is the receiving of the feedback. Mm -hmm. As humans, we are very resistant to getting feedback. It's an F word. We don't want to hear what you think. We want to hear that you like it. So right. even when that feedback is positively framed, I really like this, I really like that, we tend to hear they hated it, they didn't like it, they... <laughs> oh, they're saying they like this part because they hated this other part. Yes. It's like we build in the, yes. the shadow yeah. pieces. So I, I have written up my Aikido parallel 
to what this is. And so the idea in Aikido is to resist the urge to fight back. Don't contend with the idea. When someone suggests something, don't tell them, oh, that's not going to work because of this, and tell them all the things that are wrong about it because you'll win. They will stop giving you ideas. If you fight people on their great ideas, they'll be like, okay, never right. mind. My yeah, ideas are not welcome. Fine. Yeah, I'll no. stop. Yeah. And also resist the urge to pin you know, close your ears, go na 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 na, build a wall around you and just wait it out. Sit in the fetal position and wait until they stop talking and be like, mm, mm, mm. Like, are you done talking? Okay, great. Just get through it. Which is so many people do. They yeah. stop listening because they just don't want to hear, they expect that you're criticizing them. Right. And in a workshop setting, when people do either of those, I'll see them come back the next class and they'll tell the same story or take none of the... And then that's super disappointing for the people who gave the feedback. Like, wait. Oh, they'll they'll say, they'll say, well, I need some new ideas. I don't know what to do. And we're like, we gave you all those. Remember all? And she said that thing and you had that great idea and that care. And remember the last line that Ted suggested was such a great line. So if you defend, if you contend, then you will win. You will not get feedback from us. So the Aikido, the Aikido strategy is to blend, right? Is to absorb their energy, is to yes and them yes anding. You don't have to make any commitments. You don't have to use anything. But if you're open to hearing what other people think, you are getting their wisdom, you're getting their experience, you're getting their insights. And then when you go back, you may use none of their ideas, but at best case scenario, you've had this window into what people thought and you can try ideas out, you can try changes and you can make discoveries to make your own stories better. Love it, love it. All right, well, we, we, are, we wanna honor your time, Corey. It's been awesome to have you with us. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanna say or any last thoughts that you wanna speak to our listeners and say, Hey, this is about story or this is about you or like, Oh yeah. Well, the, the reason I wrote this book, it's called your story. Well told is that I didn't want to write a book that was just filled with my stories, my aspiration, my hope, my mission statement is to hear better stories and to help other people tell their stories better. And I know that everyone out there has great stories and I just want you to tell your stories better. And if my book in the canon of great books, including yours, can help people do that and to find strategies to unlock their own stories, shape them, and or tell them better, then I've done my part. Awesome. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I like the succinctness of your mission <laughs> and, and the inclusivity of it, right, to hear to hear better stories and uh, yeah but i even i think folks just listening to this are going to have a lot of ideas and a lot of motivation it's exciting to talk about stories and to think oh but i want to tell that now i'm like i want to go out and tell stories and and also hear them yeah um and the mutuality of that is very attractive to me and listen let's listen to each other let's let each other tell stories and ask people Tell me a story to about hear that. Their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a gift to give to someone else to to just listen yeah. to be there. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Awesome to have you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get this out in a little bit, and um, we'll let people know about discount codes, discount how they can find code, your book, yeah. and we'll give them all that information in the the uh, intro and the outro, and we're Great. gonna plug you, dude. Great. Well, thank you for 
for doing this, for having me as part of your universe. It's so good. I'm it's delighted. So good. It's I'm a delight delighted. to talk to you about your book. Yeah. All right. Welcome it's to the Monster Baby Clan. Yeah, totally. Yes. All right. Honored. episode number two with the masterful Corey Rosen. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. I hope that was as enjoyable for you as it was for us chatting with Corey about story. Really fun. And I hope that you get his book and uh, do the exercises and discover your own stories, tell your own stories. It's really, really fun. It has inspired me. I, I yeah, want to. F- I love the idea of getting into a lift line and asking people if they want to hear a story. <laughs> Again, you can get his book at mango.bz. Put in Monster Baby 10 to get a 10% discount. You can also visit coreyrosen.com, C-O-R-E-Y-R-O-S-E-N.com. Yeah. yeah. And you can get on his mailing list. See what he's up to. Take his classes. He teaches storytelling classes. And Send him shows. a note. Yeah. Tell him a story. Become a star. No, don't become a star. <laughs> don't stalk Corey. We didn't say that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And we hope you're well, wherever you are. Keep on keeping on. Uh, We'll see. We've got another fun interview coming up in August. We're not going to tell you more about it, but stay tuned. More to come. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Ciao, everybody. Bye.